Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Zara McDonald, who is wearing a very puffy green jacket right now, and me, Michelle Andrews. Hello, Zara McDonald. Thank you for the visual. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, our influencer giveaways, the new way to buy followers. Plus, what the Jeffrey Epstein death tells us about power in the palace and beyond. And we look at the curious coverage of Miley Cyrus compared to Liam Hemsworth now that they've split. First of all, Zara, do tell me how your week was. Week was good, relatively busy. I learnt something pretty great about myself this week. Ooh, what? Oh, this sounds far more self-helpy and woo-woo than it actually is. Okay. I got about four DMs this week saying, hey, you actually predicted Taylor Swift's album title. I could not believe this. You messaged me and you're like, I'm pretty sure I guessed it was Lover. And, and I was like, like, no, you didn't. You're like, no, you didn't. And I was like, of course I didn't. How, how foolish of me. And then behind the scenes, I'm like, fuck you, Michelle. I'm going back to this episode and checking it out. So might I play you a clip from April 29, I think, this year. I've got a theory. I think it might be kaleidoscope because she has used that word in previous singles before. There's also a kaleidoscope when Brandon Urie in that scene, it, there's one scene where he like flips open a love heart shaped window into his heart and it's a kaleidoscope of colors that then goes. I wonder if that, that would be a cool album title. Kaleidoscope. kaleidoscope. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. It would be great. It would also make a lot of sense as to that absolute spectacle of a music video. I also wouldn't be surprised if it was something very kitsch and very simple like love or lover or something that's Mm. super fluffy and super sugary because that's what she's trying to bring herself back to. So, Michelle, this comes off the back (laughs) of me accidentally predicting Khloe Kardashian's baby name as well. Yes, for anyone who missed that, we were tossing back and forth the different ideas. Given how wacky the Kardashian names are, we were kind of going really outlandish. And I said a name or I said something and you responded, you went, oh, true. (laughs) Which I don't think it counts as you predicting it. It absolutely counts. So there's two little um, things in my bonnet. Is that the saying? I should stop with cliches and saying celebrity psych. What I don't understand is why we're all talking about the Taylor Swift album title now when Lover was announced. Like that was announced it was going to be in the name a month ago. That's why I'm confused that people sent me all these DMs <laughs> this week as well. So I'm thinking, I'm wondering if there's a way that I could make money off this skill. Uh, like if people anything... want a prediction for something, they can like pay what? me. Is there anyone who's like pregnant now or... Or the other line of thought is I've had such a good run, perhaps I retire. Maybe you should guess, <laughs> maybe you should guess Claire's baby name. I actually will do that. Okay, give me a couple of months and then I'm going to think about it. The thing is, I'm going to write it down somewhere so that you don't see it, so that you don't go to Claire and say, don't name your baby this. Because okay, obviously Claire would pick her baby name based upon my predictions. For anyone who's very <laughs> confused right now, Claire is my sister, not a celebrity, but we'll count her as one. Oh, she's a celebrity. My recommendation this week is to Google the running time of a movie before you go. That's not a recommendation, <laughs> Absolutely it is. I booked tickets to go to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this week and I was sitting out for dinner before we walked in into the movie and I thought I wonder how long this movie goes for and I googled it and it goes for two hours and 45 minutes and I would say my attention span is about you know an hour max that is a lot how many is that in actual minutes because I always look at movies and like 100 minutes that makes fine like that's fine 160 minutes or something absurd your maths then was really bad how oh wait maybe it is 165 It's so many minutes. It's a lot of minutes and you fell asleep. Yes, I fell asleep about half an hour in, woke up about an hour and a half later and thought all of the characters look very different. They've aged a lot and have no idea where I am or what I'm doing. So I can't even recommend the film because I missed half of it. And I needed you to recommend it to me because I'm seeing it on Sunday and I will change the film if it's shit, but now you can't even tell me. Tarantino has a weird way of shooting and making films. And I know this makes me sound desperately uncultured and sort of like terrible at film, but I don't really get it. Like, I will put my hand up and say, I don't really get it. To be honest, you referring to him as just Tarantino (laughs) makes you sound very adult. I feel more adult now that you've said that than I ever have. I know that there has been a whole lot of flack, though, that he has copped because the female characters in this movie get, like, next to zero lines. And although I was only awake for about a third of the film, it was something that I very much noticed. Margot Robbie (laughs) is in the film and says fucking nothing. In your dreamlike state, you woke (laughs) up to be like, this fails the Bechdel test. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was your A feminist week. never sleeps. <laughs> I was dreaming about the Bechdel test as I was sitting in there. How was your week? It was an okay week. I actually had two pretty explosive anxiety attacks this week, which is annoying for someone who does all of the things in their power, really, to try and deal with mental illness. So I think when... You kind of have an episode like that or a week like that. It does feel like one step forward, two steps back. But I'm starting to feel a lot better now. I think, and I mean, people listening to this who have anxiety or are prone to panic attacks will relate to this. It's almost like the morning after when you wake up from having a panic attack the night before, it feels like a hangover. Yeah. It almost feels like you've cried so much and you've been in such a dark place that you've got a really splitting headache and you are really foggy. Does the splitting headache come from the tears? You know when you get quite dehydrated <laughs> from tears that you do get a splitting headache the next morning? Well, I cried so much on Wednesday night that Mitch – I was so hungry from crying. I cried yeah. so much that Mitch was like, let's get you a pizza. So at 11.30 on a Wednesday, we got this crappy pizza and it was actually delicious in the end. But, yeah, I, I don't know. problem though. Yeah, I know. Good boyfriend moment. Yeah. I do want to recommend the episode of the Daily Talk Show. I love Tommy and Josh on the Daily Talk Show. They sat down with Sam Kavanagh. Do you know Sam Kavanagh? Yeah, he used to EP the Hamish and Andy show, right? Exactly. He's actually a huge ingredient as to why that show and that empire has been so successful. He's behind the scenes, of course, but he was instrumental in Hamish and Andy's success. And I really, really highly recommend this episode. I'll link it in the show notes. I think it's just a really really good insight into media and into content and how the industry works, which is really fascinating, not just for the people like you and me who are in it. Interesting. I should actually give that one a listen. I have actually had it downloaded on my phone for the better part of a week, so I should start getting to those downloads. Shall we actually get into the show today, Michelle? Because this story that we're starting on today, can we call it a story? I mean, we're making it a story has been the thing that's piqued my interest the most. Yeah, well, it's definitely a trend, right? And Mm. I'm sure you guys listening to this will probably be familiar with it once we get into it. We're talking about curated businesses today, which is a business in itself. That's its name. What this company does is it connects with some of the biggest Instagram influencers and celebrities in the world, and it runs competitions. So as you guys scroll through your Instagram feed, you might recognize people like Beck Jard, Nadia Bartel, or everyone in the Kardashian family posing with a whole lot of designer bags and designer goods. That is exactly what we're talking about today, Zara, because we've noticed that it's a little bit of an unusual business structure. Completely. And I think the thing that piqued our interest again this week was that Nadia Bartel and Beck Judd posted again about it. So they'd run a competition once and a couple of weeks later, clearly it worked very well. They decided to do it again. Mm -hmm. And you and I turned to each other and we thought, okay, how... How does this actually work? Like what's going on behind the scenes here? Where is the money moving and how is this a thing? Because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of bags in this image, which makes an incredibly striking image just to start. Absolutely. So if you don't know what we're talking about, here's a rundown. If you want to win all of the bags that's in a photo, say Kim Kardashian is posing with all these Louis Vuitton uh, luggage cases and handbags and wallets and whatever. If you want to win all the bags in that photo, she tells you you have to follow her firstly then you have to head to the instagram page of curated businesses which is of course the company running the entire competition follow curated businesses then follow everyone in their following list generally the list is about 70 or 80 people the way this operates and the way the money moves is that everyone on that list the curated businesses follows pays to be there so you have to buy in to be on this list so that when everyone enters this competition and wants to win all these handbags they have to follow you for their entry to be legitimate zara say that these companies were paying two thousand dollars with curated businesses to be on that list they're effectively paying two thousand dollars to gain what might be 10 20 30 000 followers in the space of 24 hours exactly so if you go onto the curated businesses website they publish their results on the website and they've said that with Chris Jenner's competition, Chris Jenner ran one of these competitions, each business or influencer that bought into the competition and when we're, when we're referring to someone who bought into the competition, we are talking about someone who sits on that following list, that mm. 70 to 80 following list, gained 45,000 new followers. When it came to Chloe Kardashian, each person that bought in gained 198,000 followers. Kylie Jenner, 230,000 followers. Beck and Nadia's joint campaign gained every single person on that list 15,000 followers. 
So we're talking huge influx of followings here. And it's no surprise that businesses would jump on this. It's mm. kind of, it is literally the new way to buy followers. Not at all. I don't think it's surprising from the businesses buying in perspective. I am surprised though that people like Beck Judd and Nadia Bartel want to do this a lot because to me, it's an unusual look. And I think there'd be a lot of raised eyebrows now that this has happened twice to try and understand exactly what's going on. But there would be so much money in this. The one that Beck and Nadia did had about 70 people that you needed to follow. And what I found really interesting is it's not just other businesses. Most of them are, but some of them are influencers, fitness influencers in particular, who would pay. And I think, I mean, I'm plucking this number out of thin air. I don't know. It would be in the thousands for sure. Let's Let's take like a moderate guess at 2,000. Which is the number that we threw around this week when we were trying to do some rough maths between each other. And we're saying if it's two grand, then there's 140K in this competition. And even then, that seems like a gross underestimation of how much you'd buy in. Because if you think of it like this, right, if it's 2K that you and I buy in and say, Shameless Podcast wants to be part of this competition, don't worry, we won't be. (laughs) Not great for brand. (laughs) (laughs) But let's say Shameless Podcast wants to buy in, we pay our $2,000. And in the case of this Beck Jardin, Nadia Bartel very recent competition about 25,000 people entered because there were 25,000 comments on the Mm. curated businesses photo Mm -hmm. which equates to about eight cents a follower that seems too cheap for real followers we're not talking fake followers we're talking about real accounts here that seems like too too cheap a number it'll probably be about 5,000 each I would absolutely love to know what businesses pay to get involved with these competitions we actually tried we sent them a form (laughs) to try and pretend that shameless media co wanted to sign up to the next one they probably looked at what we're doing they're like you guys are stupid. Of course, we're not going to let you in on all our intel, but I would actually love to know what the cost is to buy into this. Again, I don't blame any of the businesses. I think for influencers, it's a little bit dodgy because you're inflating your following and therefore inflating the rate that you can charge advertisers on your own page. I do find it interesting from Beck and Nadia though. They have both archived the competition post within days of it ending. Yeah, I did say that. So they clearly don't want people seeing it on their feeds. I'm really, really interested to know how much money changes hands here because in my opinion it would be pretty astronomical it would be an astronomical figure like I don't think you can underestimate how much money is exchanging hands here well how much would the Kardashians be getting to get Chloe Kardashian and Kylie Jenner to be posting about this competition the incentive for them to do that must be completely out of this world yeah com- otherworldly Totally. And I think it's worth remembering too, curated businesses, the business itself or the company itself started in Australia. So the person or the company who has begun this has obviously started with money because there's no way you can just throw money at the Kardashians out of nowhere and also connect with the Kardashians Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. There are a couple of things that I have found interesting through this. I think the smartest people who have bought into this competition are accessory or clothing brands because I think it's an easy sell straight away. If I am going to enter this competition and I follow all 90 people, it's far easier for me to follow in love with an accessory brand than it is an influencer or a business because those things I think take patience for you to learn about their tone and Mm -hmm. their message and their brand. It's far more personal to follow an influencer particularly like a fitness influencer if you don't care about BCAAs and I don't know carb loading and all that type of stuff is it going to be content for you? Probably not. Exactly but if I see a, a cool bag brand straight away and I can fall in love with the bag straight away maybe that's actually a good business idea. Mm -hmm. The second thing though that I am interested in is it, it, while we say it's new ground in buying followings, I don't actually have any clue about how I feel about that fact in particular. I mean, I guess people have the power to unfollow once the competition's over. So if I entered this competition and I followed 90 people, once the competition's over, I could very much go through and unfollow them all. I mean, it's quite an effort though. But I wonder if a follower in this day and age actually has value if they aren't invested in your business Mm. like is a follower worth much or an inflated following worth much if followers don't know who you are or what you are about I would argue no yeah I agree and I think that's why it's an unusual decision from influencers to jump on this and they are jumping on it increasingly because I think more and more brands need to be savvy with who they spend their advertising with and I think you need to see an engagement rate above a following count following counts mean nothing if they're not engaging what's the point in having 200,000 followers if you only have less than one percent engagement well it feels like empty numbers to me that's Mm -hmm. the only thing I can keep coming back to or keep thinking about as they don't think they're worth that much if they aren't invested or engaged with what you're pushing out. And that's the unusual thing that so many brands do still do paid advertising based on followers, not on engagement. And I think that really needs to shift because if you want to be clever about this, you need to be looking at who's actually going to even see that post in their feed. And if it's not going to come up for them and they're not going to like it, they're not going to read it, what's the point? 
So what's your overarching feeling about this? Um, I feel so nosy. I really want to know how much these people like Beck, Nadia, the Kardashians get paid to do it because I think it would be crazy. Uh, I, I do think it's a really big mistake on the behalf of influencers. I think us talking about it will probably send a whole lot of people to check it out and potentially inquire about it, which is your prerogative. Go and do that. Totally. I would just urge that people think really carefully about how much value they put in a follow account. It's pretty fucking clever though. Bottom line, it's pretty clever to put something together where you just see a competition and most people don't dig much deeper. In truth, the first couple of times we saw it, we didn't dig much deeper because we couldn't be bothered. We thought it seemed strange, but we didn't have the time or energy to understand how it all worked. It was when we had time in Sydney this week where we were sitting there thinking, all right, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Do you think it's Instagram fraud? We speak a lot Mm. about buying bots as being Instagram fraud. This is obviously different. You're not buying bots, you're buying actual human beings i don't know like i don't know i don't think so because these are real people with agency to follow and unfollow yeah, I agree. and for that reason i i don't think it crosses the line too much though i do think it blurs the line thank you next bitch and now it is time for the quick and dirty as always we bring you the top five stories and when we say top that's very subjective <laughs> From the rough and tumble of the new cycle, Michelle, what have you got for me today? <laughs> so harsh. What? I picked these stories. How dare you imply that they're not the best of the best? I'm saying this about my stories too every week. Okay. My first story, Mia Khalifa opens up about life after porn. I'm ashamed of my past. That is from the Daily Beast. Zara, I wanted to talk about this story and you probably weren't as keen because Mia Khalifa, of course, was the number one watched porn star on Pornhub for many, many years. She has now come out uh, a few years after stopping her involvement in the industry in 2015. And she said that she has only made a total of $12,000 and never saw another penny after any of the videos that she made. I am interested. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I'm in a many, many minds about it. Mia Khalifa makes some brilliant points about how she was really young when she signed these contracts and she signed, what, a 12-video contract for $1,000 a pop? Yes. So she signed a lengthy contract when she was young. And this is quite reminiscent. I know we're talking about porn right now, but it is quite reminiscent of when Taylor Swift said she felt... Um, pressured or coerced to sign a really lengthy contract at a very young age. So I think that's a worthy discussion. The conversation around the fact she only made X amount of dollars doesn't feel as black and white to me Mm. because I feel like though she only made a little bit of money at the start and was the most watched porn star on Pornhub, you can't expect that money at the start when you're a newbie and nobody knows who you are like your value isn't high and the money comes later in different forms and in different ways because she's got millions of followers on Twitter and Instagram which she can monetize and the monetization comes in different ways which I think is a factor that's being ignored in this conversation I totally agree I think it is interesting she of course made the point about the monetary compensation or lack thereof but I think her main point was actually about the usage of her name so Mia Khalifa when she signed this contract so young she signed over all the rights to her website to her videos everything and one quote that really stood out to me was this my difficulty finding a normal job after quitting porn was so scary I do not own the personal site or profit from my work in any way I've never seen a penny from it all I've wanted these last years is for the site to be changed from my direct name porn corporations prey on callow young women and trap them legally into contracts when they're vulnerable I think that's really interesting she does now regret working in the sex industry and I think we should allow her to feel that regret but at the same time if it's her name up on this website miakhalifa.com or whatever it is I think she should have the right to say actually can we change my name at least can we just not have this come up as the number one search thing when you put my name into Google I think your name is your brand it is your personality it is your soul it is your identity she has moved away from this now and it would be pretty heartbreaking to have this up on the internet under Mia Khalifa when it's nothing to do with her and she wants it ripped down and she is so regretful as to that part of her life. No, I totally agree with that. And I think the most important point from this story is that last sentence, porn corporations play on callow young women and trap them legally into contracts. I think that's where our conversation should be. And I think most of the headlines have been around the fact she only made 12K. And I don't think that's an important point. I truly don't think that's the most important point, if important at all, in this story. And it's particularly sobering when you think that the majority of people running porn corporations are men. Older men. And this is young women. Okay, my second story. Zara, I'm not going to use the swear word in this because we do say fuck a lot and that's totally fine, but I think the C-bomb is a step too far. It might be a step too far. I actually think that might 
push my mum to turn off. Maybe I should replace it with another C word. What's a like nice C word? That, cupcake. Cupcake. Um, someone might have called the bachelor a dog cupcake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and viewers are losing their shit. That's from Punky, all in capital letters, might I add. Did you watch The Bachelor this week? I watched it after everybody else had. So it went bananas on our Facebook group. In fact, I was out for dinner, but I spoke to my sister and my mum who were watching it together. And my, my sister had to turn around to my mum and say, do you know what a see you next Tuesday is? Because is that, that's the word that they were using, like see yeah. you next Tuesday. And mum was like, um, yes. <laughs> like, of course I do. And I was like, <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> Stupidly interesting watching. It's not a surprise that they teased this for weeks though. No, not at all. I was a little bit embarrassed because I, they beeped the word out, obviously. Like, yeah, Australians are very lax with the C word, but not lax enough to allow it on primetime television at 7.30 at night. I didn't know what word he said after dog I literally went to the group I'm like what is he saying because it was just it's such a bogan insult I can't imagine that that phrase ever coming to my mind no unless no I mean I'm trying to justify it to think if there were if there was ever a context where I would use it no absolutely not but I can imagine someone using it as a massive joke there was a fabulous meme in the Facebook group and I'm trying to find it scrolling through right now there was a fabulous meme something along the lines of it was like American or US bachelor people genuinely trying to find love Australian bachelor trying to figure out who called batch a dog cupcake I had an issue with that meme why the US Bachelor is so not about people falling in love. Like oh, the hyperbole of the meme, it needed more, dare I say, <sighs> nuance. Dare I say it. It needed the detail, the facts needed to be correct in order for me to find it funny. That is so annoying. I'm so uptight. You're Give taking me- <laughs> that way too seriously. My third story, if you're a feminist, you have to take the allegations against Katy Perry seriously. That is from The Independent. Zara, this... Seems to have kind of slipped under so many different people's radars this week, but it's an important story and one that we probably need to pay attention to. Nobody really cares about it. Yeah. So context though, let's jump right in. Josh Kloss is a guy who was on the Teenage Dream film clip with Katy Perry. That's right, Michelle. Yes. He has come out on Instagram to share a story involving Katy Perry and he says in a post that Katy Perry lifted his clothes, exposed his penis during a 2012 party and it left him feeling pathetic and embarrassed. But this isn't the first time she's actually been accused of sexual misconduct not at all listeners to the podcast long time listeners will remember it might have been episode two of shameless don't that send we did. people back i think the title was katie perry kissed a boy and we didn't like yeah, it and it was my title and I think that's literally <laughs> the only good thing i've ever done with this podcast she coerced a contestant on american idol to kiss her but was he it never coerced? kissed anyone i think she literally just went up to him and kissed him yeah i on can't camera. Quite, i think it was a bit of both bit of column a bit of column b and that sparked a lot of controversy in the weeks after and then there's also a video of Katy Perry grabbing Sean Mendes on the bum when he was still a teenager in 2017. Why do you think people don't care about this? Well, I think people are starting to care now. I think people haven't cared historically about Katy Perry's attitudes towards men because we don't take female sexual aggression as seriously as we potentially should. I think it's a case of people wanting to care but not knowing how to like Mm. I don't think people actually know what to think about it so they don't engage at all which is actually what I found myself doing at the start when I saw the headlines Mm. I didn't engage in the way that I would normally engage because they didn't know how to make sense of it I think Katy Perry's brand is like pretty cheeky and playful and sexual and I think for that reason she can get away with things that she probably won't be able to get away with in the future Mm -hmm. and I think people make the assumption that what she's doing isn't as intimidating because the power structure isn't the same like when we talk about sexual misconduct and sexual harassment we talk about it in the context of a power dynamic being a bit fucked yeah but I think in this case if you look at all of these individual cases it's not about sex it's about power and she has power in all of them absolutely I don't think it's as imbalanced as if it was a man to a woman but it is still imbalanced she's still a celebrity she's still got a whole lot of pull and sway in the industry and across each incident of this she is taking a young probably more vulnerable young man and I don't know kind of like imposing herself upon him she's not picking out other celebrities she's not picking out men who are on the same level as her she's going for quite young vulnerable men there's kind of remnants of the James Charles story with this and I don't know if that's just me overreaching but it's that idea that these kinds of people can hide behind being very playful and being cheeky to allegedly sexually harass which I think is an important conversation starter for us all this year Mm. in that where is the power in the scenario because it's not about the sex I don't think we can push that point hard enough it is definitely about the power and she's had the power in all of these and I think that's exactly why we all should be taking it more seriously myself included one final point on this and I don't know if this is another 
another gendered element to this story. But when I saw these headlines, something popped up in my head where I was like, oh, I wonder what Orlando Bloom as Katy Perry's fiance thinks about all this. And I've never really thought that about a male who's been accused of sexual misconduct. And I wonder why that was the case. Really? Yeah. I just wonder what this would do to someone's relationship to have your name in the media and being attached to this really negative connotation of being not a sexual abuser, but definitely someone who coerces men into uncomfortable positions. But don't you think when the Harvey Weinstein story broke, the first thing that everybody tried to do, most media outlets was write stories about Georgina Chapman because they knew people were going to be googling her name yeah that's fair enough I wonder how much pressure this does put on a relationship and I don't think she's the same as Harvey Weinstein of course but I think I think she has something to answer for and I think she needs to change and change change really quickly otherwise we're not going to have any more time for her I think she needs to address it in a pretty mature and thoughtful way though I don't know if she will I don't know if she's capable of it based on her previous actions and this has been going on for almost a decade now my fourth story this is from you actually Ben Simmons conversation goes national as big names react that is from news.com.au So this story is about a week old now, but I have found it incredibly interesting how the Ben Simmons story after his sort of like fortnight trip to Australia has unfolded. He was initially denied entry into Melbourne's Crown Casino and he alleged it was because of racial profiling. So that's how the headline started around Ben Simmons. After that, he announced that he was sitting out of the Boomers World Cup campaign, which is apparently not, look at me, Mrs. Sporting Knowledge, like not uncommon for NBA players. Like apparently LeBron James hasn't played in a World Cup since like 2000. As soon as he signed that major deal in the US, it was almost guaranteed that he wasn't going to be playing for Exactly. And then the third thing that happened is he charged $200 for children to attend a basketball camp that he ran while he was here. And I think 30 of those kids were given sort of like free scholarship passes to that basketball Mm -hmm. clinic. And the articles came out furiously that he was getting too big for his boots. It was literally a textbook case of tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. But it feels like given the backdrop of the Adam Good story, given the backdrop of the first story being the Crown Casino one, that there is a lot more going on underneath the surface here. And there also has been, the pendulum has swung pretty far as well now in that there are many opinion pieces coming out being like, leave Ben Simmons the fuck alone. Like no wonder people don't want to, people who do well internationally don't want to come home because we don't give them chances to grow. Tall poppy syndrome is so a problem in Australia. I actually completely agree with that. And I'm sorry, I know I'm nitpicking here, but we can't come for someone who's charging $200 for kids to attend a basketball camp. What would the costs involved with that be? He's like, an NBA I went, player. Yeah, and I went to netball camps with netball stars when I was growing up and they were very expensive. You don't have to go. No one's forcing you to buy a ticket, but he's an NBA star and it's a basketball camp. It so would have been going to cost money. It would literally have been the best experience of these kids' lives. And yes, it's unfair that this shit costs money and that we live in a capitalist world where rich kids can go to this stuff and other kids can't. Like, yes, that's unfair, but that is not the fault of Ben Simmons. It's an incredible example of tall poppy. And why would Ben Simmons want to come back to Australia if this is how he's been treated? Poor Ben Simmons. He can cry into his millions and millions and millions of dollars. There was a great argument somewhere, and I wish I could remember what piece it was because I read a bunch of articles on this, but it was an argument that, you know, we would like Ben Simmons so much more if he played AFL not NBA because the personality traits that you take on board as an AFL player are very different to the traits you take on board as an NBA player. That is so true. Being an NBA player really carries with it this, I think it's an ego and arrogance thing. We automatically assume that young men with that level of fame and fortune and connections, yeah, are probably a little bit egotistical or a lot egotistical. I mean, so are a bunch of AFL players in Melbourne, but I think it's because they live in our orbit. You're telling me. We cut them a little bit more flat. Just go back to Michelle at 19. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my fifth story. Today FM, Axe's Grant, Ed and Ash breakfast show. This is from Sydney Morning Herald. And Zara, the timing of this was a little bit unusual for us. It was. We actually interviewed Ash London on Tuesday in Sydney last Tuesday. This news came out on Thursday afternoon. We will drop our interview with Ash on Thursday though um, with you know another reminder of that timeline but I do find very interesting the stories that have come out after this axing mm-hmm. so Grant Denyer, Ed Cavalier and Ash weren't together very long obviously this is the radio show that Emma Shiano left and there are a few factors at play here. One thing I did find very interesting is that very rarely did Grant, Ed and Ash actually record in the same studio. So Ash recorded out of Sydney. Ed obviously lives in Melbourne. And Grant lives in Bathurst. Oh. So they're all over the place, right? Wow. The second thing that you found very interesting is what Today FM have decided to replace them with. Yes. Three hours of music every morning, which I find 
utterly bizarre. I'm sure there is more to this. I'm sure I don't know more than the Today FM content <laughs> managers know, of course. I do find it to be an unusual decision. I think it will be a short-lived one because why would we listen to three hours of music on repeat with ads in between it when I can just put on Spotify and do that without the ads and pick all of the music that I like. Well, exactly. There was a great article on TV Black Box by a journo and former TV producer, Rob McKnight, and he seemed to have a lot of sources coming to the table with this story. And he said a few things. The first was that obviously Ash London was just going to go and, you know, do full-time Ash London Live, which is a full-time gig in and of itself. The second thing was that Ed Cavalier was very likely going to replace Kate Langbrook because Kate Langbrook is going to probably and reportedly quit the Husey and Kate show because she's living in Italy at the end of this year and she was Mm -hmm. only contracted for those two years. And the third thing was that Grant Denyer was the one that pulled the ratings in that show. So every single time Grant Denyer went on leave, the ratings plummeted. Apparently they plummeted by like a full percent down to, you know, like a 3.1% audience share when Grant was last on holidays. I find that so interesting. Don't you? I, I was genuinely surprised by that which means apparently according to Rob McKnight that Today FM want to hold on desperately to Grant Denyer but they want him in an exclusivity contract where he doesn't have much to do with Channel 10 so they want to pull him away from TV presenting the idea is apparently they're in negotiations doing that at the moment and the end game for them would be having Grant Denyer front Today FM breakfast again next year with a new team but him spearheading it interesting whether or not those reports are true that is what anonymous sources are telling Robert McKnight of TV Black Box but I thought that kind of all worked like everything kind of seemed to fall into place and it makes logical and rational sense. Absolutely. So would that mean Ed Cavalier moves radio station or is that still with Today FM? No, Husey and Kate, Husey and Kate remember they took over Hamish and Andy when Hamish wow, and Andy that's very left. neat then, isn't it? It's very neat. And then Ash London goes back to what she loves doing the most, which is Ash London Live. I know this is a uh, secondary point, but I am interested. Do you listen to any radio anymore? I listen to it in the morning when I'm driving, for sure. I don't have an aux cord in my car, which is a problem. So when you said to me, Today FM said they were playing three hours of music in the morning, I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. Mm. But that's my own fault and like very short-lived. Yeah, interesting. I listen to Jason PJ most mornings, but apart from that, I don't listen to any radio. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess this is the question that lots of them have. How do they target people our age? And I don't even know. I don't know either. I mean, I would say podcasting because that's what we've done. (laughs) This is once again the poison chalice of Today FM. Nobody has been able to make it work since Kyle and Jackie O defected to Kiss and the next people that come along have you know like a pretty big job again yeah good luck to them is that all you've got for me that is it thanks so much in case you missed it last week American hedge fund manager and billionaire Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his prison cell weeks after being charged with sex trafficking and sex trafficking conspiracy in the hours before he died though a New York court ordered that thousands of pages of documents relating to Jeffrey Epstein's alleged crimes be unsealed revealing the names of dozens of famous wealthy influential men who thrived in his orbit one of those men mentioned in the document Zara is a British prince Queen Elizabeth's second son prince andrew what do you think the epstein story tells us about powerful men crime and justice i'm going to give you a pretty baseline response which is they can get away with kind of fucking anything if they Mm. want to it has been a very confronting story to dig into if you've seen the name jeffrey epstein thrown around in the last couple of weeks which i imagine you have here's a tiny bit of background i know mish gave you a little bit too but Jeffrey Epstein was a wealthy financier who was friends with people like the Clintons and Trump. He was accused of sexually abusing dozens of underage girls, bringing them to his home for massages, during which he would masturbate or have intercourse with them. And these girls were young. He was indicted in 2007, but only served 13 months in jail after striking a deal. So according to court and police records reviewed by the Miami Herald's Julie Brown, and the Miami Herald has done some wonderful and crucial reporting around the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. I think the Miami Herald are one of the key reasons this story hasn't gone away. Probably the key reason I think that expose was blistering. And Julie Brown reported that Epstein routinely had underage girls brought to his Palm Beach mansion and paid them, like we said, to give him massages. During the massages, he would also ask these girls to go and find other girls to bring back to the house. In July, and this story has resurfaced in the last few months, Epstein was arrested again in New Jersey and charged with sex trafficking. Obviously, in the last week or two, he was found dead in his prison cell. Yes, more than 80 women have come forward to accuse Epstein, this is before his apparent suicide, of molesting them when they were girls. Before we say anything else, I do want to make one point, and this is a point that was also mirrored by Megan Garber in The Atlantic this week. I am so sick of seeing media publications and journalists 
talk about this case and talk about sexual assault cases as underage women. That's not a thing. They're children. Underage women are children. And this quote from Megan Garber, before we say anything else, is really poignant. The phase is wrong in every sense. There is no such thing as an underage woman. Underage women are girls. But the mistake, repeated several times since July, has been in its own way revealing. It suggests a culture that remains reluctant to equate the interests of powerful men and the interests of vulnerable girls. And it suggests an ongoing ambivalence about what it means to be a girl in the first place. It feels to me like... We do that to underplay it because these young girls are young, but there's a sense of promiscuity around them or they're Mm. sophisticated and it's not as dangerous or damaging because they consent, but they don't. One thing we need to make really clear in this segment as well, Zara, is there is a lot of detail in this Jeffrey Epstein story. There are a lot of celebrities, including Bill Clinton, including Donald Trump, including Kevin Spacey and a whole host of others who have been embroiled in this. However, we can't look at all of them simply because we don't have the time. And I think the most interesting one thus far is actually how the royal family has become embedded in the Jeffrey Epstein story. It's definitely been the thread that's interested me the most in this story. I think what I want to start with is a photo of Prince Andrew. Now, for those who don't know who Prince Andrew is or can't remember, he is the Duke of York. He is the brother of Prince Charles. He is the son of Queen Elizabeth. He has two children, Michelle. What are their names? Princess Beatrice and Eugenie. I literally told you this 10 minutes ago. I shouldn't have given you the answer before I put you on the spot. My knowledge of the royal family is coming along in leaps and bounds. Anyway, Prince Andrew was photographed in a London home in 2001. And we're talking about this photo because he is posing with a young woman whose name was Virginia Roberts at the time, who was 17. And his arm is very much draped around the waist of Virginia Roberts. Even if there wasn't a lot of murky, gross allegations going on around this story, it's a weird photo anyway to see a middle-aged man with his arm around the waist of a 17-year-old who he's not related to. The reason this photo actually matters is because it's taken in the London apartment of a woman named Jelaine Maxwell, who is reported to be the madam of Jeffrey Epstein, who was the partner of Jeffrey Epstein for a very long time. Now, Jeffrey Epstein was clearly apparently in the room, so was Jelaine. And this is a massive issue because, Michelle, why? Well, the optics of this are bad because what Virginia Roberts has accused Jelaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein of doing is prostituting her out. She says that she was prostituted out to Prince Andrew on three separate occasions when she was only 17. And this kind of accusation is an absolute disaster for the palace and, of course, Prince Andrew himself. I mean, it's a, it's a disastrous allegation for kind of anyone. I think the one that's most troubling for me is the allegation or the accusation that she was trafficked to Andrew on the private plane of Jeffrey Epstein so that she could have sex with him. I am just so confused by so many elements of this story, mostly that Prince Andrew stayed in the life of Jeffrey Epstein after he pled guilty to having sexual encounters with children, like with young children. Absolutely. And he's not the only royal who is embroiled in this. Fergie was also tangled up with Epstein when he was at the peak of this trafficking era. She accepted $18,000 from him to help her pay off her own personal debts. And that's US. US. So there are multiple people in the royal family who befriended him, invited him to... I don't know, high-flying royal parties to different events. They travelled to go see him in New York multiple times. They flew on his personal jet, which seems to be the thread between all of these trafficking stories. That a lot, a lot went down on this private plane where Jeffrey Epstein not only hired the pilot but has his friends and assistants kind of work on the plane. So it was all in the family and in his business. There was no one outside keeping an eye on what was going on. And it seems like lots of people were involved in this ring. And who knows what powerful men and powerful celebrities that includes. Well, I think the one point that I want to make very clear is this is not just some murky, vague report. It's not some murky, vague link. There were reports in 2000 from the Daily Mail that Epstein and Maxwell were among guests at Windsor Castle at an event at Windsor Castle dubbed Dance of the Decades, which celebrated at a heap of royal birthdays and I'm pretty sure Prince William turned 18 that day. There have also been reports that they have been guests at Sandringham Estate. Like they have been very embedded in celebrations of the royal family and socialising with the royal family. And I think with that all in mind, it's weird to me that Prince Andrew didn't sever ties the minute Jeffrey Epstein went to jail for other gross, gross stuff. Bizarre. And a PR disaster like this is going to have a very strong reaction from the palace. We expect that. They're going to come out. But I can't help but think if you were a woman who 
had your innocence and childhood destroyed by these powerful men who you have accused of prostituting you out and trafficking you, how must it feel to then have the palace basically imply that you're a liar? In their statement, they said the allegations made are false and without any foundation. And I can't help but think how it must feel to be Virginia Roberts, worked up the courage over the last decade to come out and tell her story and have one of the most powerful institutions in the world say that she's making it up. It feels terrible to be such a downer or to take such a glass half empty approach to this, but I don't think that there's a way that you can ever beat the palace. And I think that there's a lot of dark stuff that happens in royal families. Like there's a lot of dark stuff that's happened, particularly with the British royal family. And I think when it comes to this, I don't think a young woman can ever stand up against the powerhouse that is the royal family. I don't think much will come from this story, truthfully, on the record now. I do really want to push this point home as much as I can as well. Jeffrey Epstein benefited from having power and privilege and money with the legal system before. In 2008, as you said, Zara, he did just serve 13 months for a crime that others would be put in jail for a decade for. And on top of the 13 months, he was given day release so that he could work. That was for 12 hours a day, six days a week. And that was the penalty for him being found guilty of procuring prostitution for a girl aged under 18. So the way money moves and the way power moves in this story has been going on for more than a decade and I think anyone listening to this can agree with me 13 months with day release six days a week for 12 hours is not enough when you pled guilty to prostituting out a girl there's a really interesting story going around about Andrew and Fergie and Andrew and Fergie obviously divorced back in the 90s and they have two kids, Beatrice and Eugenie. It was reported that they were holed up with the Queen at Balmoral over the last week. Last Sunday, Andrew rode in the car next to Her Majesty on the way to church with the rest of the family around him, which is obviously incredibly deliberate. And then after that, Fergie and Prince Andrew fled to Spain. And Marina Hyde wrote this very brilliant piece in The Guardian, I'm not sure if you read it, Mish, where she said, it's funny what brings once parted couples back together, be it shared interests, a sense of unfinished business or simply the chance to distract from an international sex trafficking scandal to which you've been linked. Mm. So the reports around them coming back together look like a very deliberate way to redirect the narrative. And she finished with a quote that said, still plenty more Megan misdemeanors to fuss over, no doubt, while Andrew hides away in his hideaway, which comes back to that point that we've touched on before, how Meghan Markle has been very much a decoy for a lot of royal scandal. Totally. I mean, we haven't even covered half the men who are embroiled in this, but there are Nobel Prize winners, there are Harvard graduates, there are tech entrepreneurs. The the level of fame and influence amongst these men is kind of scary. And when you think about the fact that Jeffrey Epstein was paying regular $100,000 donations to local police departments to keep them quiet for so many years, I think it paints a really damning picture of how power and money flow. I think when we look at the currents in this story, it says a lot about powerful men and a lot about crime and justice. And look, Epstein is dead. He was supposedly worth more than 600 million at the time of his death. And I hope his victims take every single penny from that estate. It's been well over a week now since the split between Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth was made public. And since then, the reporting has been curious. Miley has gone rogue. Miley is misbehaving. Liam is hard done by. Liam is brokenhearted. Mish, how have you considered the news reports around the marriage breakdown now that more than a week has passed? Pretty regressive, to be honest. I I think the media love to paint Miley Cyrus as this untamed classless woman simply because she is queer and because she doesn't want to appear feminine I think Miley Cyrus's rejection of femininity is really uh confusing and befuddling for a lot of journalists and a lot of celebrity reporters in particular I think it's her rejection of almost anything that's mainstream or of anything that can kind of put you in a box Mm. I feel like for me this story is shrouded in two things homophobia and sexism and I think both of those forces are incredibly powerful in framing this story I feel uncomfortable with how it feels like history is repeating itself with regards to the breakdown of Liam Hemsworth and Miley Cyrus's relationship like it was very similar to how it happened last time Miley goes 
goes wild, poor Liam Hemsworth is brokenhearted. He is always the do-gooder or the victim or the one who demands our sympathy. She is the rogue one, the untamed one, the misbehaving one. Even how he was approached in Byron Bay for comment and was reportedly heartbroken and everyone kind of went collectively, oh, and, you know, at the end of relationship is sad, no doubt about it. But the whole thing feels a little bit like a spectacle to me and a little bit performative. Yeah, and we really hate that Miley Cyrus refuses to be tamed, literally, and the fact that she is an unruly woman just seems to be so uh, jarring, and I'm sorry for using that word again, but jarring for us. Some of the headlines really made me roll my eyes because I do think they are gendered. The first one is from news.com.au. Liam Hemsworth family beg him to cut off Miley Cyrus. Radar Online wrote, can't be tamed, sexually fluid Miley bored in bed with Liam before split. Then you had the son, Miley Cyrus's kiss with Caitlin Carter, yet more proof the wild child was not ready to settle down and wanted an open marriage. I find it so interesting how we look at queer people and think that they can't be monogamous they're entirely incapable of monogamy or being tamed in a monogamous relationship it's the inference that they're sexual deviants yes exactly right it's the inference that miley cyrus can't keep it in her pants which doesn't even make sense for women but i guess it has to in this sense it is incredibly homophobic and i think that's the first thing or the the one thread that i can't get out of my head when i'm chasing this story is how queer particularly queer women actually queer men too are treated as sexual deviants who are off the rails, who can't possibly, who don't have, you know, agency over their own sexuality. They just want to get with everyone all the time. I think it is so, so dangerous. I think our framing of Miley Cyrus right now is really consistent with our framing of her more generally. I think we've always kind of argued implicitly that she's a woman of phases, like she goes through phases, some good, some pure, some bad. And I think it is so dangerous that we do that given how open she is and how she defines her sexuality. Because I think in doing so, we're inferring that her sexuality goes in waves along with her whims or her moods and therefore are inferring that sexuality is a flays and not fluid. Absolutely. I wonder if we would talk about a man the way we're talking about Miley Cyrus because I think there is so much implicit slut-shaming that we reserve for women who show a sexual attraction to other women. I think the fact that photos of Miley kissing another woman were treated as so salacious and so titillating that there is such a weird homophobic element to all of this. And I do agree. Some people might hear me say that and think, well, Miley Cyrus is playing into this. Why is she in a public arena kissing a person who's not her husband? Clearly she knows that's going to make headlines. And yeah, maybe I do agree with you. But at the same time, I don't know if we let her do anything else other than play into it. I don't know what other option Miley Cyrus has to be other than just live her life. She knows the eyes of the world are so fixated on her. What is she going to do? Just completely retreat from the public eye and exist only behind closed doors? I don't think it's fair that we expect that from celebrities. The other element to this is the class element. Mm. I think classless is a criticism that we level so frequently at women and I don't think there is a parallel for men. I have never heard a man described as classless and it's something that I've heard so often and seen so often in comment threads about Miley Cyrus. I think the word class and classless is so weaponized against young women and really what we're saying is we're not saying you're classless. We're saying you're not feminine enough. You're not meek enough. You're not mild enough. You're not quiet enough and your loudness is irritating. You are completely unreal ruly and we don't know what to do with you. I think there's a huge element of not knowing where to place or what to do with Miley Cyrus. Like we cannot get our heads around her as much as we try. In fact, I don't actually think that we try. Perez Hilton gave a weird interview with Kyle and Jackie O, though I feel like if we're getting three people to talk on radio, it's not going to be the most insightful interview. Oh no. Perez Hilton, Kyle and Jackie O. And his quotes were very telling to me with regards to the sexist element to this story. And he said, we don't know, but I'm hearing that Liam was not comfortable with a lot of the 2019 Miley Cyrus, which seems to be very different to the 2018 Miley Cyrus. You know, they got married last year, and if you go back and look at her wedding photos, she really felt and looked a different person last year. But this year, she's kind of back to her old, very rebellious ways, and maybe he just didn't like that. Mm. It's this sense that now that she's married and settled down, she needs to remain pure. Like, we cannot possibly get our head around the fact that you can be married and in a mature, 
long-term relationship and still have this other side to her, which she's spoken about very publicly, about being pansexual, about still being attracted to women, about not wanting to be the person that's sitting at home in a fucking apron and I quote, cooking dinner. And it's sexual, right? You're allowed to be sexual and be someone's wife. I don't mean that that's going and kissing someone else or cheating or anything like that, but you are allowed to express your sexuality and express your sexual desires as a woman. And I think we still hold a lot of discomfort when it comes to a woman saying, yeah, I enjoy sex and I want to talk about it and I want to show that. But it's even Perez pointing to the photos, like her image, like we much prefer her when she's literally in that white wedding dress with long curly hair. We know what to do with her. We don't know what to do with her when she's in a boat in Italy, her tattoos on display and her sexuality on display. The concept of disrespect I wanted to touch on a bit too, Mish, because I think what a lot of people are coming back to is how disrespectful it is for her to be pictured publicly kissing someone when this breakdown of her marriage hadn't even been reported yet. And I wonder if people are just using that word disrespect to hide maybe the sexist and homophobic elements ingrained in this story that, oh, my criticism has nothing to do with that. It's just a respect thing. I would also say maybe be a little bit smarter about this. I think we need to be really careful with how we talk about the timeline here. Just because their separation was announced on the same day those photos came out does not mean that the two were overlapping or very close in proximity. They wouldn't have been at all. They would have been separated for months. Exactly, which I think we need to be really cognizant of. And so many people are completely ignoring that. I think the separation announcement would have been pushed forward because they knew photos were about to be leaked. They knew photos were about to be published and therefore they had to go with it first. And on top of that, let's keep in mind that Miley's new single about the breakup was released on Friday where she sang, I want my house in the hills, don't want the whiskey and pills. Songs aren't just written, produced, edited and released in a single day. The timing of this stuff is anything but coincidental. Totally. I don't love dirty laundry being aired. That's Mm. one thing. And slide away is dirty. It does feel like dirty laundry, right? And it feels like this has been in the wind for a few months and has almost been deliberately released as things start to get ugly because they are starting to get ugly, Michelle, in that now both camps are really trying to go at each other. They have, and it's kind of ugly to watch according to one tabloid Miley has tried valiantly to save the marriage and the deal breaker was that Liam was drinking a lot and then according to Liam's sources Miley cheated and that is ultimately what tanked the relationship so they're throwing a lot of shit in each other's camps so there was that and then there was the rebuttal and then there was page six reporting on Wednesday that Liam was heartbroken and blindsided by the photos of Cyrus kissing Carter he would not have been blindsided in the slightest The source continued saying Miley is really immature and always has been. Mm -hmm. Then on Thursday, people came out with a report to rebut against page six's report, which said, according to a source, Cyrus is having difficulty letting Liam go. Although at the end of the day, she wants to be happy and she genuinely wants Liam to be happy too. There's just so much going on from both camps planting sources in different tabloids. What tabloid do you actually trust there? I would trust People magazine. I'm not sure I'd trust many of the others. I mean, yeah, they all have sort of uh, competing motivations. Uh, I probably don't really trust any of them, to be totally honest, in this context in particular. I would trust People when it comes to announcing the split of a couple, but when it comes to anonymous sources, I don't trust any of them because these are just sources planting their own story. Yeah, it's much of a muchness. So even if the quotes are true, the story might not be totally i think that's all we've got time for today that is thank you so much for listening as always if you guys want to come and join the conversation you are so more than welcome to come to facebook our facebook group has about twenty three thousand people in there it's a lot of people we are at shameless podcast community and on instagram at shameless podcast zara is on instagram at zara mcdonald i am at michelle andrews one there are no meme wars for us to plug until next year but yeah just follow us anyway thank god (laughs) we will be on your ears on on your ears can we be on yeah technically if you're wearing over the ear headphones we will be on your ears on and in your ears on thursday with that interview with ash london ash london was an absolute delight like a genuine ray of sunshine we meet a lot of people in this industry and the imprint that she left on us was a really beautiful one so ash thank you if you are listening we think she is absolutely amazing at what she does yeah she is epic so that will be in your ears on thursday otherwise in the meantime come chat to us you know on On all of those places on the socials i guess um andy lee calls them social pipes on the social that? no we can't copy you know what that sounds like someone who doesn't really like social media (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much guys (laughs) bye